1: Mobilized by the Secret Masters, they are
2: the Department of Nerdly Affairs.
1: Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co host, Don Chisholm.
0: Mighty
1: robots, mighty vehicles, go bots! Oh, Rock Lord. Oh, well, anyway, um, too soon, too soon. Go buy challenges, Rock Lords. Are we not over that yet? Okay, fine. Um, anyway, so tonight folks, as you may have already guessed, we're going to be talking about the legendary animated half hour toy commercials of our youth. Um, specifically my youth and Don's youth. Although I think we're going to go a little bit before our time and maybe a tiny bit after, but probably not. Um, Because it pretty much ended in the 1990s. So this is another one of those episodes where we're going to be looking back at pop culture of the 80s. And in this case, specifically, those lovely uh, cartoons that 80s kids rushed home to watch and sing along with the opening theme songs of, and which were generally there to sell us toys.
0: I don't think generally is the word.
1: Well, I mean, they were literally sponsored by toy companies and they were made with the express purpose of getting us to go out and buy toys. I mean, that's kind of it yeah i mean it's not kind of it that's that's it that's 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 the whole story i mean right there okay so yeah we're talking about those shows transformers gi joe my little pony gem and the holograms we're going to be talking about those shows and some of the other ones that you may or may not remember or may not have even heard of okay Mm. but before we do that as we are want to do we're going to go back a little bit into time so don when did the whole half hour toy commercial or at least toys as as a product to produce entertainment start
0: this is one of those weird things where where this might be a structured episode Uh -uh. We'll we'll see (laughs) i know if you go back in time uh there was always like marketing attached to different properties you go back to say like the 30s you had like a popeye i think up until recently popeye was the most marketed character ever Mm -hmm. Uh, this was always a big thing. You had, like, fan clubs, you know, get your decoder ring and find out what Captain America wants you to do and all kinds of, like, weird stuff like that. But what you got to remember and what makes the 80s different was when all of that was done, what would happen is people were basically just licensing out, um, like, an image or a name or something.
1: Yes. Makes sense. I mean, that why do it yourself when you can just license it to someone else and they
0: just literally give you money for it? Yeah, and and it's the idea. So if you think of like, say, Popeye, uh, Seagar made the character. He did mm-hmm. the comic. That was back in the day when the the newspaper syndicate publishing the comic owned the character,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they would just license it out. So if you wanted to do T-shirts, they'd say, "Okay, yeah, go ahead do T-shirts," and you'd make a deal yep. to do T-shirts. But neither the typically neither the uh, say the creator or whoever owned the copyright, like the syndicate would have any real work on, say, that T-shirt or any of that licensing or marketing.
1: Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. They, As long as they approved it and said, okay, it's not Popeye doing something he's not supposed to, they were cool with it. Okay, just make sure we get our cut of the money and everyone's happy.
0: Yeah, and for a long time, that was kind of the standard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it,
1: it, uh... I'm gonna so take a look Why change a good thing? Why would they not just follow the standard?
0: Why 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 do something different? Yeah, there's a little catch in, and what we're gonna do is we'll we'll with that in mind, I think the first time you really had any serious kind of controversy in a way that we would recognize
2: mm-hmm.
0: would be nineteen sixty eight.
1: Nineteen sixty eight. It was yeah, a good well, year. Unless you were <laughs> hippie, then it was a bad year. But okay, sure. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because this is, this is when the ACT rears their ugly head again, and they made a protest against Romper Room.
1: Okay, first, who are the ACT? Let's make this a no-acronym situation.
0: <laughs> well, that was Action for Children's Television. They're one of the, uh, the earliest pundits um, for, say, protecting kids from the influence of, of like, TV and such and, and mm-hmm. generally not being in favor of fun at all in a lot of ways. Right.
1: Okay. So it was a bunch of old biddies that were very unhappy about children's te- television because it's ruining kids' minds. Yep. Got it.
0: Yeah. And this goes back 68. You're still, it's still pretty early. Romper Room had been on the air for a while. And anybody who doesn't know it was a kid's show.
1: What happened on Romper Room? I only have vague memories
0: of it myself. It was, it was, it was really kind of designed to teach kids like politeness and socialization. And it, it was the one they always had. Like the hostess would have like the magic mirror, and I don't remember the the little little speech. But then she'd like, it would be like translucent, and she'd be looking directly at the camera, and she'd be like, "And I see Mitzi and Davy and Billy and Billy, stop touching yourself," and that kind of that <laughs> that kind of thing. Right, right. And it it was crazy popular. A lot of times, if you ever see parodies of kids shows like uh, on Family Guy, it was a uh, oh, like Shining country or something it was this overly polite british show that they stewie watches it's that was kind of like what romper room was like it, right. it was it was mr rogers without the edge in a lot of ways Oh, okay yes mr rogers i remember yes yeah and what ends up happening is towards the middle end of the 60s they start using the romper room trademark on a line of toys mm-hmm and the, the ACT complained that what you were doing when you did that, it was sort of blurring the line between entertainment and advertisement. Okay, makes sense. And you've had this for, you had this sort of thing for a long time because you had sponsorship. And this is where, oh, yeah. you know, kids wanted, like, like the, the quintessential Red Ryder BB gun. That was an actual thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. And and it was you know you'd slap the Red Rider name and image because it was a popular radio show and comic at the time mm-hmm. on like a BB gun and it would generate hype. But they said this was a little different because you had kind of the the two fed on each other. That you could make the argument that the show was an ad for the toys, the toys an ad for the show, and it created kind of this this feedback loop. Yep, synergy. Yep. Yeah, that's that's what we'd we'd call it post eighties. Yes. And they didn't like that. They saw that as kind of um, a problem because kids kind of already have difficulty telling the difference between reality and fiction, especially Romper Room is aimed at very young kids. Yes. And that was what they thought. Nothing really came of it. Because, again, I remember Romper Room brand toys when I was a kid back in the early 70s. No, I, don't so remember. Nothing... I remember the toys. I don't remember the show. Yeah, I remember. I d- I never used to watch it. Like here in Canada, we had the Polka Dot Dora, which kind of the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was suspecting. Yeah, with some weird mutant, whatever the hell Pocaroo was, kind of yep. thing. Uh, and in the in the states, this kind of um, it. The next year, 1969, is when you really see something happen, mm-hmm. and the Federal Trade Commission comes in and brings their foot down in this sort of thing because there's a cartoon that nobody remembers and it was terrible called Hot Wheels. I remember the song, but only because I had it etched into my memory from YouTube.
1: Okay, yeah, because I mean, I tracked some of it down. Yes, you did. I uh, it, It's, it's it, The song is literally, Hot Wheels! Hot Wheels! And it just well, and then, repeats it over
0: and over again. Well, and they they list a, a number of like f- like famous racetracks. Oh yeah, that's true. Hot Wheels, Bonneville, Hot Wheels, Monte Carlo, and it's basically yeah. It's and if you saw the show, it's it's again, it's pretty generic. It's like the teen gang, and they all drive cars, and yeah, they don't really s- they solve crimes, but it's crimes like one of them gets blamed for speeding, and they have to show it was like the bad guys mm-hmm. that were into cars that did it, not them. Mm-hmm. And it. And even by animation of the day, it wasn't really, really good. It doesn't tie exactly directly into the toys. They kind of tried to use some of the cars, mm-hmm. but the Hot Wheels toys were basically just cars, so... Yeah, they were. So yeah. it all worked out. Yeah, it, it, and it's hard to say just how, it, it, how structured all of this was, but the FTC said that, again, that crossed the line, and... They made it, they put out all kinds of rules for, um, limits for what you could do on kids TV mm-hmm. when you could show ads. Uh, this is the beginning. If you remember, like when we were kids in the seventies, there was a whole ton of like, um, like, uh, PSAs through Saturday morning. Yeah. Oh yeah. There were lots of them. Yeah. This and, can- that, that, and that's one to grow on. Oh yeah. There's that schoolhouse rock. Oh yeah. Those two. Yeah. Yeah. Timeout for timer. Yeah there's a right way a smart way to watch tv was another mm-hmm. one and there were t- and it was because of this of this ruling and it was also one of the reasons why a lot of shows would have a moral during the episode yes yeah to make them educational wink wink yeah that's exactly what that was um <clears throat> but it was this idea that it really put a big limit on what you could do marketing wise with a lot of kids shows mm-hmm. and One of the things that also happens that year that kind of contravenes that Mm -hmm. was that's also the year Sesame Street premieres. Yes. And Sesame Street was directly branded almost right out of the gate.
1: But Sesame Street, I don't think had uh, merchandise, did it back then?
0: Metric shit tons. It was a whole thing. Yeah, because even if if you remember when we were kids, there were like stuffed animals, books. Mm, That's true does like a magazine mm, true it, it was they marketed the hell out of it but I think again what might have might have um give them a pass was most of it was stuff that could be considered to some degree educational wink wink yep sure yeah well some of it not necessarily as wink wink because the books were yeah, kids yeah, books they were. and they were done as kids books and they, they were decent the toys like the stuffed animals and mm-hmm. stuff that kind of um that kind of crossed the line. But again, I think because Sesame street right out of the gate was considered educational, it might've given them a little bit of a, a little bit of a mm-hmm. pass. Makes um, sense. yeah. And, and that was sort of the first instance of what we're, what, what you'd see in the eighties because you had uh, the children's television workshop, yes. mm-hmm. uh, which was its own thing that produced the show and produced uh, a lot of the toys not directly they they worked with the the companies who were who were producing them again that that's to meet those Mm -hmm. standards and those standards were fairly high for for educational content and and pertinence and learning value to kids that was kind of the only model you saw of what would come up in the 80s for a long long time Mm -hmm.
1: makes sense Okay, then. And so, but this is, we're talking
0: about 68 at this point or 67? 69. 69. 69. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I I think you kind of also saw, because we've talked about this before, that when you get to that era, this is also the beginning of marketing to Mm -hmm. kids. That prior to that, you did sort of minimal marketing. to kids mostly it would be hey mom and dad this is good for kids buy lots of it because kids don't yeah, have any yeah, exactly
1: money. you're really marketing to the parents yeah.
0: yeah but at this point they're starting to see the value of like I want it. <laughs> so there's more considering kids as as a uh, as basically the new frontier in mm-hmm. marketing that totally works uh, no, that makes sense Yeah, because one of the weird things that you get out of that, too, that happened in Mm the 70s is Saturday morning TV was pretty new as well. Like the late 60s, early 70s is when it really takes off. Mm -hmm. And and we've talked about that. And one of the things, again, we've mentioned it before, but it it sort of leads us to the next Mm -hmm. step. Nobody really knew what to do with it. And again, I think because marketing to kids was new, you had a lot of, like, Saturday morning versions of things that you have to ask who the hell thought that was a good idea.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, they got to fill the full content with something, right?
0: They, they do, but it was stuff that um, I'm thinking there was like a Saturday morning Planet of the Apes. yep. Yeah, yeah. And that that wasn't a kid's show, but I kids appealed to it. They marketed the hell out of it on, on all, all spectrums when it mm-hmm. took off. Um, you had uh like a Saturday the Saturday morning yep. Star Trek this is which was basically just the fourth Pretty season much, yeah yeah there was a bunch we mentioned the one um I think it was the ABC uh Saturday morning movie where they did um an animated version of that girl which was a sitcom that I about like modern dating and I'm like I don't think that had too many kid advocates in the mm-hmm. day but they yep, went anyway okay. sure why not they were they were just filling time and i do
1: and i remember they used to also do um now this was a little later this i'm thinking the 80s probably when they actually used to have like animated versions of different like uh classic novels and fairy tales and all kinds of stuff i don't know if you remember but there were animated
0: anthology shows on saturday morning as well yeah there were that that i think that actually starts in the very late 60s but yeah it was it was um ABC had one, and I think CBS had one, and yeah, they'd adapt they adapt books and and because uh, some like because they even used it for
1: that. at least this is going back to the eighties, jumping ahead to the eighties. But I remember they even used it for pilots. So, for example, there was The Littles, the book The Littles came out, yeah, and it was really popular as a kids' book. And so they did uh, the animated version for like the CBS Kids Playhouse or whatever the heck they called it. Um, or no it was ABC I think it was ABC whichever one of them and then mm-hmm. it was such a hit there then they made it a full series like a year or so later it actually they actually so they used it as a kind of place to test some animated pilots as well
0: yeah because that was uh, I believe was also where um, they did that with yes. uh, Bewitched when for, for whatever reason Tabitha joined the circus but it wasn't popular enough to to do the mm-hmm. actual show uh, the Munsters spinoff, I think, started as one of right. those. And it, again, it wasn't where it was Eddie Munsters, a teenager, and he met some of his cousins, and they had like a demonically possessed car. I think that, I think that might have been I one of those memories of that.
1: Yes, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yes, I do.
0: Yeah, there were a bunch because there were ones that got popular, and they they did several of those because the uh, Miss Twitch ones were popular, and they made yep. a few of them. And I think Bonicula, yes. They did a couple, and then in like the early two thousands, they did a TV, like an actual yep, animated yep, series did. of it.
1: Yep, yep. I remember Bonicula. Yeah, I always thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so <laughs> here's a *Vampire Rabbit*. Uh, what's not What's not funny about it? The, again, and these were mostly based <laughs> off like novels or toy series or not toys, sorry, novels or. Um, other things like spin-offs like Eddie Munster and such but it, what's interesting is that a lot of the stuff they were doing in the 70s I guess because of their because they, they were being forced to be quote educational end quote a lot of the stuff they did in the 70s at that period is more of like we're gonna take classic fairy tales and like maybe make them a little bit funny or something like that and someone edu- like stuff that they could get by with the idea that it was educational basically that seems to be where they were really focusing and again, other filler stuff like Eddie Munster and Friends. Like, that was all. And and also the Fantastic Four show. There was the Fantastic Four that premiered during that time. They did, tried to do a couple Marvel things. You know, yeah, it was two Fantastic well, Four. Well, are shows. you counting the Thing one as a separate one?
0: Okay, there were five, <laughs> three Fantastic Four. No, because there was the right, 60s yeah. one. And then there was the 70s with one. Herbie, with which uh, Herbie, which everyone
1: remembers. Yeah, because they couldn't have a character that burst into flames. So it's like, okay. Act.
0: Actually, you know what the real what? reason was? The reason the Human Torch didn't appear in it wasn't because they were afraid kids would set themselves on fire. This is back before, you know, we cared about things like that. Remember, this is the Air of oh, Free yes, Range yes. children. Mm-hmm. Um, it was because they were looking at licensing the character out for a TV oh, series. Okay. And they didn't have the rights. And this, again, you bring that up and it's a good point because, it, again, it ties into this mm-hmm. idea that before the 80s, you when you had this mm-hmm. marketing, it was basically just write-offs for the owners. There wasn't a lot of, like, planning ahead of time or cross-coordination. Like, yes. And that was how, like, the, the thing, instead of being a, uh, a World War II fighter pilot that teamed up with his uh, college buddy to fly an experimental spaceship and got pelted by cosmic rays and turned into a super-strong rock coated mm-hmm. monster it was about a gawky teenager that when he slammed his rings together, he turned into like thing a stone ring, dude. do your thing. You I remember idea. it. Yeah, and, and oh, it's, it's hard to forget because, again, it had nothing to do with the source nothing. material because, again, that wasn't a concern. Marvel was like, yeah, you want to do a cartoon? Okay, pfft, sure, whatever. And then whatever. You would
1: team up with Fred and Barney and the Shmoo.
0: Yeah. God help us all. <laughs> and even the idea of, like, say, the Shmoo. The Shmoo was... Uh, from the yep. uh, Little Abner comic. And in the cartoon, he yep. was scooby It was any
1: old property they could dredge up. They basically turned it into a show because they had to fill it with something. They had to fill that time.
0: Yep. And a known name was better. And like I said, nobody really, really, really cared what you nope. did with these not properties. not They just
1: do something with it and give us our licensing money. That's all they cared about.
0: Yep. Uh, what happens around that time too, and mm-hmm. this is where I think the seeds for what we're getting at get planted, because you've mentioned the thing and that's actually mm-hmm. a, a good example. But in 1976, Marvel gets the rights to do the Micronauts Uh-oh. comic. Well, that's that's where what you see in the 80s mm-hmm. kind of starts, I think. Because again, it, it wasn't planned. Uh, Micronauts, the, the American company Migo at a toy convention saw these things called microman out of japan and are these like little robot Mm -hmm. guys and and that and they brought them over to america as micronauts now Mm -hmm. in japan they had a big backstory and 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 already that migo ignored it they didn't really put any Mm -hmm. story to the toys other than acquire bad time traveler good that was basically the whole backstory the guys at Marvel, I believe Bill Mantlo was one of one of them. Like, um, his son got a bunch of these toys for Christmas. And he said, these things are awesome. We could do a story with this. And they wrote. They got the rights from Mego to do the comic. Mm-hmm. And they did the comic. There's not much of a story. If you've seen the comic and compare it to the toys, it's actually not that similar. They use a lot of the names. Some of the imagery is the same. But it, it, it doesn't look like the toys at mm-hmm. all. Because, again... There was really no cross-pollination right. at that point. Uh, Takara didn't care what Migo did with the toys as long as they got their check. Migo didn't care what Marvel did with the toys as long as they got their check. The guys who did the, the comic, it was Michael Golden mm-hmm. and Bill Mantlow to start, just went nuts with the idea. It got mm-hmm. super popular. The next year, yep. Star Wars comes out, and the Micronauts kind of They've already established themselves, they're already popular. That whole outer space sci fi mania kicks in, and they just well, run they with it. They right?
1: already were a Star Wars esque thing, anyway. Like, it was already very Star Wars esque, and because it was uh, Japan, right? They were using the Japanese tropes, and then Star yeah. Wars becomes a mega hit, and suddenly, like, here it is. Here's something that's already there that's got all the tropes you like in Marvel Comics form. And so people are like, oh my god, Micronauts is awesome.
0: Yep. And what ends up happening from there and where you really kind of see what, what mm-hmm. happens in the 80s, although there's a couple steps before, but, well, well mm-hmm. we, I think we can lead in. In the 80s when Hasbro decided to bring G.I. Joe back, because they'd had a couple, you can't call it, well, they had one failure. Uh, Super Joe in the late 70s mm-hmm. didn't really take off. It was a sci-fi version of G.I. Joe. It was smaller. It, it was the eight, more the 8-inch scale that was popular right, as opposed right. to the 12-inch. Uh, in the early 70s, when war wasn't popular, they made G.I. Joe into the G.I. Joe action team. And that mm-hmm. seemed to do fairly well. But they wanted to bring him back uh, because of Star Wars, the 3.5-inch format for action figures is cool. Uh, you can sell more vehicles and play sets and that was appealing because you could have different toys mm-hmm. across different price points. Uh Marvel gets contacted by Hasbro because they remember what they did with the micronauts and they say, Do you want to do that mm-hmm. for us? And again, we've 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 talked about this. It's it's uh, fairly well known that uh it was uh why can't I remember his Larry Hammer? Larry Hama gets the job and he comes up with this whole big background in that Hasbro likes what he does. And they kind of absorb some of it because Hasbro came up with the basic characters, the basic concepts, kind of the look Hama Mm -hmm. filled in the stories that takes off at that point. You really kind of see what becomes the eighties that, that cross pollination, that, all the different kind of uh, companies and departments that are working on this property are are sort of working together.
1: Right. They all they
0: see the value of working together as a team. Yeah, and trying to have more of a, a unified thing. Now they they are different because the comic mm-hmm. was different right. from the cartoon. Not um, the the toy line was sort of its own thing. You, you do get cross pollination. I think the uh third run of figures is when they introduced the Baroness, who is a character oh, that Larry okay. Hama came up with. So you start seeing the this back and forth really take hold. Whereas, again, prior to that you wouldn't have seen that. But because Hasbro kind of wanted that synergy from the beginning, they set up yeah. a work relationship. And then Marvel Sunbow happens, and then they're the one doing the cartoon. Now they're part of Marvel... But a separate aspect of it, but they're still part of it, so they're still kind of mm-hmm. touching base on okay. that. Okay. Because that ca- that came out of the idea you mentioned mm-hmm. the the thing, not like the comic. Shortly thereafter, you get the uh, uh, yeah Marvel Productions. Marvel yeah, Productions, yeah. which is the animation.
1: About, um, oh, we, we sorry we talked with uh, will menio about that in fact because remember will menio was actually there so if, mm-hmm. if anyone wants to know about marvel productions go find our interview with, with will menio because he was there literally while it happened so he'll tell you the story of marvel productions mm-hmm. because it's his story yep so there you go <laughs> um now one thing i have to yeah wonder about okay so Seventy six, they changed the rules. Uh, wrote, the FCC came in and changed the rules, and they basically said that okay, you can only have a certain amount of commercial time during children's programming, a certain percentage of children, because they were worried that children's programming was filled with too many you know kid with too many ads for kids stuff, basically. And they also limited who mm-hmm. could actually um, pay for these children. So basically, but they also were smart enough to bring in rules against what were effectively half hour toy ads. They actually did that on purpose during the nineteen seventies. Yeah. I think it was 76, but around there. Um, now, what's interesting is in '84, thanks to thanks Reagan, Reagan and the lobbying efforts of the toy companies and the animation will basically see all that lifted. Okay, in 1984, that all gets taken, that all gets removed and gets taken away, and it basically becomes wild west on children's television in 1984 because <laughs> Ronald Ron Reagan. That was that was the era. Um, now, what's interesting though. And this is something that fascinates me. So, But the two series that were basically, I would argue, and I think many would agree with me, are the harbingers of the great 80s period of the half-hour toy commercial. Uh, the two series are, of course, G.I. Joe and He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Mm. But, specifically mm. He-Man, because the G.I. Joe miniseries premieres in 83, the actual series won't premiere until 85. So, okay. But He-Man, the series, yeah. starts in 83. No, but what I find fascinating is, but the rules don't change until '84, and it would have taken like they would have had to be in production for like a year, at least a year, before He-Man premiered. So let's say '82 is when they start the project. Okay, '83, 83, September '83, 83, uh, September fifth in nineteen eighty-three is when He-Man premieres. Um, so, do, do you see what? Do you see where the problem is? Like the rules change in '84. But they start doing making a show that they couldn't premiere in eighty two. Do you, do you see where there's a disconnect there?
0: I can explain it and then make it worse. Oh, okay, go. What happens in uh in nineteen eighty one? Um. Mark Fowler is the declared head of the FCC. Okay. And he starts the process like what what you're talking about is when basically all the limits are removed in, yes, in 84 yeah. yeah in 84 right yeah in 80 81 they open the door oh okay. that they they do they do and this is one of the reasons though and this is where it gets weird the 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 thing that's considered to be the start of the 80s half hour toy ad is he-man
1: yeah, yeah, that's that's my point, is it starts in eighty three, the year yeah. before the doors are opened, I thought, but apparently not.
0: Okay. Yeah. And the toy comes out in eighty Mm-hmm. When they get filmation to produce it, what happens is uh Lou Schreimer, the head of filmation, is kind of a conservative minded kind of guy, little C. hmm And because this is still new, there's still a lot of um of untread ground, there's still a lot of limits. Right. And this is this is one reason. If you remember the old He-Man cartoon, mm-hmm. the two things that'll stick with you, other than the recycled animation, mm-hmm. is every episode ends with a moral lesson. Right? Yes. Today we learned that shaking hands is a filthy habit. You know, <laughs> it, because there's still there's still that educational requirement. Yes. Yes, there is. It, and if you watch, you never really see anybody get hit.
1: Yes, because like he always He-Man punches the camera.
0: Yeah, if he's hitting a person, usually it's, it's you'll see that, and then you'll see like a wall fall down. But occasionally you'd see him hit the camera, and then you'll see Skeletor go flying by. Yeah. Because a lot of the old limits on what you could show in a kid's show are still in place. So like direct violence is a no-no. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the reasons why He-Man uh-huh. comes out before it's totally deregulated. So right. that's why it seems so sterile, because mm-hmm. it still kind of is. Right It's still running
1: under the basically
0: the 1970s rules at that point. Yeah. Oh, okay. loosened up a little bit, right. Okay. But, but there's there's a thing there's a thing that makes it worse, okay? Be, because there's a confounding variable to the whole damn thing that that in 1980 mm-hmm. is when the actual first half hour toy ad toy tie-in TV show like premieres, which is? strawberry shortcake strawberry shortcake came out in 1980 yep the toys came out uh there's a uh there were they they it wasn't a series but in 80 81 they did like three half hour specials Uh
1: uh-huh
0: and again it was it was all directly done that was um because what happens that people don't realize is one of the forces behind the half-hour toy ad thing was a company called Those Characters from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of what would have been considered, say, the girls' toys that yes. did the half-hour marketing thing. They were all products of, of those characters from Cleveland. So that was Strawberry Shortcake. That was the Care Bears. I think uh, Rainbow Bright might have come out of that
2: mm-hmm. there. I
0: think the Popples came out of that too, maybe. Mm-hmm. Don't hold me to the last two. I'm not 100% sure. And that's the first real half-hour toy ad because it's it's it ties directly in with the character. It's telling that story. It's blurring that line between marketing and entertainment. And that was a year before that comes out. A year before you really see these these limits starting to be limited. And how they got away with that, I can't exactly figure out. Except that maybe. Um, the character wasn't well-known, and a lot of the focus that the angry parents groups had were on the typical, say, boy stuff with, like, the violence mm. and the loud and the robots. So they might have squeaked in because of that. But, yeah, that was actually the first proper half-hour toy ad in 1980. Wow.
1: I am very, very impressed. <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm doing the Pie Man dance right now. Yeah, <laughs> um,
1: wow, that's very impressive. Uh, anyway, so um, actually, I have a, I, I have a theory. Actually, as you thought.
0: Okay.
1: When, what, what time slot did it air? Because I wouldn't be surprised if it aired in, as a special or something in like prime time, and that's how they got away with it. It wasn't aired as children's uh, programming. It was aired as general audience programming. Um, I could see because that. that's my theory about because GI Joe uh, the first miniseries comes out in 1983, so it is it also is before the 84 rules change. Uh, yeah. And I have a that's that would be the for those of you who remember that would be the mass device. That's how it was, that when it's broken down and shown in the actual you know syndicated version, it's called the it's the mass device saga. Anyway. Um, And so I have a theory that I I, I, actually, I don't know this for certain, but I've always wondered whether that was actually shown in prime time or whether that was shown in the, in the usual Saturday morning kid slots.
0: Um, Oh, the G.I. Joe one. Yeah. I think it might have been. It might have been uh, pre prime time, like six p.m. or seven p.m.
1: Well, I think there are two possibilities I... That I can foresee, and I'd have to go back and check this. I mean, we probably could go back and check the. Uh, I know you can find like TV guides or whatever from that period. You can check some stuff out. We'd have to do a little research, or maybe if someone can write in. Please feel free if someone really wants to leave a comment. But um, my th- either that or the fact that it was on, drum roll please, syndicated television. So it was being shown yeah. on independent stations who were running it as part of their syndicated programming lineup, and that's one of the reasons why it was able to skirt many of the rules that the networks had to follow and that proper Saturday morning did had
0: to follow. I, yeah, they're, they're, they still they still had a lot of of, of, of rules, mm-hmm. but I. Even in the the, the syndicated, right?
1: Ones. So, but I wouldn't. But I wonder about that when about when it aired, because I I do because I remember it. This is myself. I remember watching it um, after school. I remember watching the the GI right. Joe. I I'm, you know, we're old enough. I remember watching the Mass Device. You know, each coming home from school each day and watching it. Back in uh, well, obviously eighty three is probably when I so, would have seen it. I think, but then again, yeah. maybe I saw it, you know, in eighty four. Maybe I saw a later, you know, playing of it after school. Maybe that. I, I don't know exactly what year we're talking about. That's the only catch.
0: Yeah, it could be, and, and the rules were a little looser on on for syndication too. Mm-hmm. They 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 still had to get ways around it because if you remember, GI Joe right mm-hmm. actually premieres in eighty two. Because they did uh, animated ads yeah, the, for the comic. the animated comic ads. Yes,
1: and I do remember those. I remember those before the... Yeah, I, I remember those appearing uh, before the actual animated series. Because I do remember the animated series and I remember those ads. I do.
0: Yeah, because I, I remember, like, uh, Will, when Will Minio was here talking about it, he said that for the first ads, yeah. that was how they got around the restrictions. Because... They didn't have any real context to it. If you remember the very, very, very first ad for G.I. Joe anything, Mm -hmm. like it was animated and it was basically... The uh, it opens cold with like the, the control room and it's Cobra's capturing the Senator. And you see like they throw her into a convertible and a G.I. Joe guy takes off in a jump pack and he pulls her out of the car and then it freeze frames the legend of G.I. Joe from Marvel Comics. And there's no real context for product or yeah. anything. and he Because I remember that distinctly. He said that was how they got around a lot of these restrictions at that yeah, time.
1: Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Um, so again...
0: But then that got the ball it rolling. got the
1: ball rolling, right. Yeah, so they did those first, and those were popular enough that they did the the mini-series. And then yeah. another mini-series in 84, and then in the actual series in 85. And, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why it's 1985 that this all really, really, really kicks in. <laughs> like that's that's the year when this all oh sleepers so merciful th- face that, that's kind of the year that that uh, the well because again they needed the rep, they needed the prep time they needed the prep time to get everything in place yeah. although that although I say that but something is interesting is that uh, My Little Pony Transformers and Sectars were actually mm-hmm. eighty four so they would yeah. have, so they going back to my question they actually would have had
0: to be in production before the law changed. They, they would have... And this is, again, I think why you'll see with um, a lot of these shows, they're they're a little different from what came after because they would have come after the 81 mm. loosening. But this is, again, why something like, say, Transformers, they got around a lot of the problems because they're robots, they're not yes. people.
1: Also, I think the tra- original Transformers was also a miniseries that aired in... They followed the G.I. Joe
0: thing, well, if I remember right. And probably My Little Pony was, too. Yeah, they all... were. Yeah, they all were, and it, it was because what what you had happening, too, is this is the beginning of it, because if you look at, like, the Transformers, mm-hmm. the comic, the toys, and the TV show are very similar, but they're actually, there's yeah. differences, there's notable, notable differences, differences yes, in them. Yes, there are. And then after the miniseries, like, say, for Transformers, I, I can't speak to, to My Little Pony or anything, but after Transformers, when the regular series starts, it's different from the show, from the, from the five, five part uh, oh, yeah. miniseries yeah, yeah. And, and the comic is different too. Cause in the comic, the comic was a four issue miniseries that Marvel mm-hmm. put out. They all die and the comic firmly ties it into the Marvel universe because Spider-Man yes. shows up. Yeah. When the regular series of the comic starts, it's got nothing to do with Marvel. Although they kind of retconned that in because the character of Circuit Breaker, who is a human that gets injured during a fight with the Transformers and she turns herself into like a cyborg and fight to fight them because she hates mm-hmm. robots now. She ends up in Mar- the Marvel Universe proper because they had the rights to that, but the Transformers, they kind yeah, of edge yeah. them out. And it's kind of the same boat they were in when you go back even earlier with uh, the Mm -hmm. Micronauts because Marvel made up original characters for the Micronauts comic because, again, there wasn't a lot of coordination. The toys were just the inspiration. And those characters stayed in the Marvel Universe whereas other ones didn't, which led to weird stuff where when they, say, brought back Bug in the 90s and did a couple things with him, you couldn't mention... Like uh, Biotron or Microtron or Baron Karza or that, because that was still that was licensed yeah, to yeah. someone else. By
1: then they'd lost the licensing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Marvel. Yeah, they they had the same problem with Rom Space Knight, which was a Parker right. Brothers toy. That Rom is firmly part of the Marvel universe, but you can't. They 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 brought him back in human form because you can't reference the 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 toaster headed toy because that's owned by is someone it still...
1: else. I thought. Rom was one of those things where I thought Marvel eventually Parker Brothers is like yeah we don't care and Marvel bought the rights to it. I thought Marvel eventually bought the rights to Rom. Like the toy and everything I thought. Uh,
0: they have they have the rights to the character and the story but I think it's basically just just the image because I think it was IDW or Boom that did a, that had Rom show up in some of their comics right. a few years ago. Uh, Cuz and go- it was the the Oh, sorry. No, no. Oh, I was going to say
1: because well, because they suddenly were licensing every. I thought they basically licensed all the Hasbro stuff. I wonder if Hasbro owns Rom then.
0: I wonder yeah, who owns Rom? I'm going to look it up. I think they do because I because th- pa- Parker Brothers I don't think is a thing anymore. Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers I think both got bought by Hasbro. That would be right.
1: Yeah, I bet. I bet that's the case. Uh, Rom, yep. Yeah, Rom is because yeah, they they put an incredible amount of work into it. Uh, da, 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 da. yeah ROM's owned by Hasbro yeah. yeah it's owned by Hasbro now
0: yeah yeah cause that's, that's like we were saying that was the thing in those days cause mm-hmm. this is still the 70s there wasn't a lot of like cross combinations so yep. the story of ROM is pretty much all yes, Marvel and actually, ROM is
1: actually a perfect example cause it was actually an attempt to do a combo between uh, a toy and a, a media property at the same time so ROM is actually a good example of that
0: yeah, and and again, it's it's also an example of the earliest days because, what what ended up happening was Marvel worked unfettered mm, yeah, by yeah. the company. Like Parker Brothers at the time didn't really give a shit what they yeah, did; exactly. just give them a check. Um,
1: interesting. Bill Mantlo was also behind Rom, at least the comic, anyway, and Bushima. So there you go. Yeah. So Bill Mantlo was the guy. Who basically, became the yeah. We got uh, some toy shit here. Bill, take this. It's like okay. And that that, w- that was pretty much Bill. <laughs> I mean, the only thing he didn't do later on, he didn't do Transformers. That was Bob Badansky, I believe, that did Transformers. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting that eventually that I for some reason, yeah, I'd always thought that ROM got bought out by Marvel or they owned some some version of it. As you said, maybe just the images or something. There's something going. There's something about licensing. Yeah, yeah, they,
0: be- hmm. yeah, they own everything except. I think, the the look of him in cyborg form. Because he's come... Ram has come back back in Marvel Comics, but in human form. Like, he he gets turned back into a human at the end of the original series. 40-year-old spoiler alert. But... And that stuff they own because Parker Brothers didn't really have any backstory to it. They just, here's a toy, do something. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And then, as you said, it looks like they eventually get... Has He becomes part of the Hasbro comic book universe, and they do their yeah. thing. But apparently, yep, Dire Race and all that stuff. But I think the Hasbro one is not meant to continue on from the Marvel one. That's meant to kind of be its own thing.
0: Yeah, because, again, they don't have any of the rights to the stuff Marvel yeah, did, yeah. so they they can't continue that any of sense. that. They, somebody else... Uh... Yeah, cause this was this was the area when you get to like you were saying 84, 85. That's the Hasbro Marvel Sunbow unholy relationship right there. Eh? That, that that's basically what kicks the whole the whole era off. Yep.
1: Yeah. As of twenty twenty two, no reprints or collections of the Mar- Marvel series ROM exist. Uh, or have been produced due to Marvel's loss of the rights to Rom and the appearance of many Marvel-owned characters throughout the series. Cause yeah, he he's involved with the whole like X-Men and everything else, like the big war against the Dire Race, and all kinds of
0: stuff. Like, oh, yeah, right, right out of the gate, Rom is part of the Marvel universe. Yeah, yeah. Like I think issue three. Actually, correction. I think in issue one, Shield is mentioned. Like, and it's again, it's that idea that nobody thought about this idea of licensing complications or, or who owns what because it wasn't a thing yet. It was just, that thing looks neat, we want to do a comic. And Parker Brothers like, yeah, we kind of were giving up on our electronics division anyway. So, whatever, knock yourself out. Yeah, exactly, kind
1: of yeah. And so he ends up teaming up with pretty much the whole Marvel Universe. Like, he hangs out
0: with well, pretty much everyone at one point or another. Yeah, in the early 80s, the uh, there was a big uh, a tie-in. Mm-hmm. Through all the Marvel Universe where you were finding out which characters in other comics were secretly Dire Wraiths all along. Because the Dire Wraiths would steal human forms. Right, And they revealed that, like, and that ran through the whole Marvel Universe. Every book for like a month or two, somebody would be revealed to be a Wraith spy. It tied in with everything.
1: So even the whole secret invasion thing they did in the early 2000s, wasn't it, was complete?
0: That was just that again. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Okay. And Marvel did that. Marvel did that, too, because the the Micronauts were firmly a part of the Marvel Universe when they came out. Yes, I remember that.
1: Yeah, yeah, they were.
0: Because as a kid, I wasn't really into superheroes, and I loved the Micronauts, and I remember these guys would show up, and everybody would act like they know them, and I'm like, I don't know who this asshole is, but it was because it was an established Marvel character.
1: Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Yep, and you, that was a good way to cross-pollinate everything, but Anyway, so back to our point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. So, nineteen eighty four, a whole bunch of miniseries come out because they were they were. Follow- GI Joe had worked. He man who was, had shown had shown the way. He had lit the way for everyone, and uh, it took a mm-hmm. little bit. When, here's a here's a weird side note. You know, Voltron also comes out in nineteen
2: eighty four.
1: And, and yep. Vo- Vol, Vol- oh, I was going to say, and Voltron breaks most of the rules. But I guess it gets away with it because it's syndicated
0: and it's, and it's not American. Yeah, Voltron's a weird one because what what ends up happening, mm. there's actually a couple things going on with uh, with this kind of show because you've got the 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 Marvel Sunbow thing creates the formula. Right,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: We plot the we do the comic and the cartoon and the toy line at the same mm-hmm. time. The TV show always starts as a five-part limited series, which becomes the first five episodes of the series and a weekend special movie. Right, yep. Every so often, mm-hmm. uh, we do the the after that, then then you do like the, your your different seasons of the show like that. That's why when when GI Joe is the template, uh, Strawberry Shortcake is yep. first. He Man kind of codifies the process, mm-hmm. but even with He Man, there wasn't a lot of cross pollination. And G.I. Joe is the one that settles it. And then, like, literally everything is yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. They... T- to the point that you've got stuff that kind of um, comes in as only part of that formula mm-hmm. and tries to co-opt the others. So you mentioned, like, uh, Voltron. Yeah. Voltron did the same thing that it's it's a Japanese show, but the first five episodes are like a little miniseries. Yeah, yeah they are. That's true. There, There's other shows like... Um, a uh, famous one for for me would be say the, the Adventures of the Galaxy yes. Rangers. That's true. What what kills that one is it's one of the last shows that's done as a show, mm-hmm. and it gets canceled because they can't find a toy company to do the toys.
1: Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Well, Galaxy Rangers won't come until eighty six, but yeah, that does make sense.
0: Yeah, it's it's part of it. There's a couple other things like Marvel did um, uh, the comic Chris Star. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which was supposed to be one of these processes, but instead of the toy company starting it, Marvel did, and Remco did Mm -hmm. the toys, but they never got an animated series.
1: I imagine one was planned, but for whatever reason didn't
0: happen. Well, they didn't, no, they, 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 it wasn't planned, it was, they thought that that would be what, what would happen, but then nobody did. I see, I
1: see, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Like, as far as I know, it wasn't set up ahead of time. There was a couple Marvel did that because they also did um, uh, Animax. Oh. No, there's a name I haven't heard for a while. Okay, yep. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, like a, a toy line. I don't think got released, but it was they did mm-hmm. a comic that that never got published, and they wanted a toy line. And then uh, there was also Brute Force was another one that Marvel was trying to yep, push yep. for that they did a comic, but it never got a toy. Yep. yep sense um famously too this is the uh the origin if you go back a little bit earlier of like secret mm-hmm. Wars secret Wars gets picked up as a toy line by uh from uh, Mattel mm-hmm. even though the toy line has nothing to do with the comic right yeah that's true but it was it was they were hoping to have marketing synergy and then as I recall it, that's it happens i think superpowers came mm-hmm. first one of them inspired the when other. you say
1: superpowers you're talking about the quasi justice league or
0: super friends superpower series yeah that kenner put out. actually no i think what ended up happening is mm-hmm. is um oh, i can't remember which comes first but it was like crisis on infinite earths is coming out and marvel does secret wars in a response to the rumors of what it was going right. to be cuz this is kind of the first comic book event and or
1: it's the other, it's way other way around, around that Marvel was doing okay, secret so hold on uh, crisis yeah. on infant earth came then, out in okay let me check yeah. uh crisis on infant earth came out when 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 when? Uh, crisis on infant earth 1985 okay okay so secret and secret wars secret wars is 84 so secret wars would have won yeah secret wars i think 84 84. may 84 yep you're right so secret wars so they knew yeah i so i think your story is correct yeah so so marvel because of course they're all they're literally like a block from each other so and they the artists work together you yeah artists and everyone goes back and forth so yeah they knew obviously they knew so like okay they're gonna do a big event oh we'll do one first and so secret wars happens and then crisis happens
0: and then the toy lines happen because the uh, the toy companies wanted that synergy Makes sense. as well. Makes sense. That that I think it was the uh, I think it was that the uh, the superpowers mm-hmm. ones come first, and then they actually sold really well. And then that was why DC and Kenner got together to do superpowers, which I believe ended up being more popular. That wouldn't surprise me. They were also better done, mm-hmm. like the the the. Uh, the Secret Wars figures all use basically the same body with minor adjustments. Whereas the uh, the Kenner ones, the superpowers, were better detailed, they right. had action features, they used separate molds for everything. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Makes sense,
0: and then again, this is also hot in the heels of the GI Joe thing, so everybody's kind of wanting uh, oh yeah,
1: oh yeah,
0: no, because that that was the formula, because that was the formula, right?
1: No, nope. no, that makes total sense, that makes total sense and then of course in 85 we get the um well that 85 is when as i said before is when the tide hits like fall 85 you know the series versions of transformers and gi joe and um gem and the holograms jason the wheeled warriors mass thundercats Shira, robotech that all hits in 85 oh as strawberry shortcake too and my little pony if i remember right as well or no not strawberry Maybe? shortcake my little pony though yeah yeah. If there's a series version, I think the 85, that might also be the... Uh, does Gummy Bears count for this? Because I remember there was a Gummy Bears series that was pretty
0: popular at this time, too. Uh, this is where you're you're getting at something weird. Mm, yeah. Because you mentioned Robotech, and the thing that, that you get the weird thing, because there's, the, uh, there's the, the Galaxy Rangers thing where people would produce a show to be a show and then try to get in on this whole marketing thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a little different from what we're getting at because, again, the specific phenomenon that we're talking about that was very specifically 80s was that working together from the outset.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because Robotech was another one that they, Harmony Gold did the show mm-hmm. and then tried to do the marketing because they found it had the problem that Galaxy Rangers had that its audience, it was crazy popular, but its audience skewed high age-wise. Yes. Yeah. So they weren't into toys.
1: Yeah, they weren't buying the toys.
0: Yeah. Yes, so that they they couldn't they they couldn't market him. Now Robotech was popular enough that it kind of starts the uh, the the eighties mainstream "quote unquote" Japanimation boom mm-hmm. because Robotech comes out and they did the thing that they always did. They did it with Voltron. They did it with Star Blazers. That you American it up. Yep, yep. But at this point, there was enough fan base for original Japanese stuff because we were already trading with people in Japan at this time. Mm-hmm. That everybody knew it was Japanese, so that stigma wasn't quite there, mm-hmm. and Japanese stuff, science fiction and that, for the robot model kits and that, was already well rooted at the time. So it starts this whole other thing where you translate stuff, but you don't have to kind of Americanize it as much. Yeah, yeah. But that again, that's a different audience. That tends to be kind of an older audience at this point. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So it's it's you can probably consider it a branch off. Uh, There's also a weird thing that happens, because I'll mention uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yes. Yeah. That you get these weird subgroups that the Ninja Turtles is is based on the comic, Mm -hmm. but not. That the show is totally redesigned. Because the comic, again, was for for like an older teen audience. Yeah, yeah. And the cartoon didn't look like the car- the the comic. It didn't look like it didn't follow the source material at all. And like no, next to any capacity, it was a completely different thing. Like yeah, and then when when you had the tie. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Like, and it came out in eighty seven
1: for reference. Yep.
0: Yeah, and the tie ins to that were based on the cartoon. And then what you had is you had this process kind of happen separate from the source material, and this happened a couple times because. Mm-hmm. The show comes out, the toys are based on the show, and then Archie does a comic book based on the cartoon. Yes, I remember that, yeah. So you have the original, which is for this older audience, but is a whole separate entity. And the original is when they did, like, say, the role-playing game. It's based on the original comic, not the cartoon. Yes, yes it is. I used to play it, I remember, yeah. They kind of sort of tried to absorb some of that in, and it went, "Mm, I can't say poorly, but bizarre. Yeah, yeah. 'Cause they, they did some adventures that tried for the role playing game that tried to split the difference. Mm-hmm. And n- no, bad. Bad Kevin Simbita and Eric Wujek. Bad. But but it's this weird thing where now you've got parallel developments happening mm-hmm. that that you've got this marketing process that you can even you could even look at like say the um like when you got to superpowers. Mm-hmm. The superpowers toys are nominally based on like the dc comics but not and some of them have their own designs that sort of be bopping it out of the mainstream comics but then the super friends cartoon mm. suddenly looks a lot like the toys yeah. yeah. so you've got again it's it's this weird thing in in a different direction and there's a lot of stuff that did that this was also you're getting into the era of the real ghostbusters
1: yes yes that's true uh, the real Ghostbusters. What year will that be? Uh, that it's would be 86 think, or,
0: or
1: something.
0: 80, uh, 86. It's 86. I'm looking at a list. It's 86. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's a cartoon nominally based on the movie, but radically different. The toys came yep. out based on the cartoon. The toys were crazy mm-hmm. popular. Yep. I think there was a, a short lived comic based on the cartoon. Mm hmm. And then the sequel to the movie comes out that's got nothing to do with that. So that's the weird cross-pollination. And then the weird Mm cross-cross-cross-pollination is at that, roughly, that time, I think, 85, you've got Filmation does Filmation's Ghostbusters. Yes, that's true. Which is based on the old live-action TV show from the 70s with Larry Storch Mm -hmm. that the guys who did the Ghostbusters movie... Licensed the rights to use the name from. Yep. And has nothing else to do with it. So at this point, when you talk Ghostbusters by the late 80s, you've got three parallel lines of marketing for three totally different stories. Called,
1: all called Ghostbusters.
0: Yeah. yeah. Although the uh, real Ghostbusters, and that's why they called it the real Ghostbusters. Yes, yes. Which technically it's not. Technically, being based on the movie, it's the second run Ghostbusters, but. Yep, yeah, whatever. That was their way around it. The animated one did do an episode that ties into the movie that kind of explains the differences.
1: I remember that
0: where the characters are watching the movie, aren't they? That come, yeah. I think it it's, it's ties in it with. I think it might have been a two part because what ends up happening is after they destroy Gozer, mm-hmm. when they go back to the firehouse, they ditch their uniforms, but they because they're all filled with like the 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 foam ectoplasm eh? and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what ends up happening is their old uniforms that ectoplasm absorbs their personality becomes evil ghost ghostbusters right yeah and then they have that yeah yeah they have to fight their own dirty laundry and then that's why like the 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 new uniforms that you see in the cartoon they're all different because they were kind of like prototype tests that they were before they decided on the uniform that they uh they ultimately used
1: right okay makes sense and that explains yeah why they look different yeah okay
0: yeah so there's awareness of this, because at this time you kind of have to sort of do it, because like you said, after after 85, this is how it's done, and you've got people that are sort of creeping into that, that circle at strange spots, having to still play that game. So that's why you yeah. would do it, that episode that explains why is the movie different from the show, whereas... Yeah. Say, like, when we were kids, nobody wondered why Benji Grimm has two rings and isn't actually a World War II fighter pilot. It just was. Shut up and watch the damn cartoon.
1: Exactly. Well, because the audience were, audiences were so, from their point of view, so compartmentalized that you didn't need to explain that stuff. Yeah. Yet, But it's interesting where I would almost say, in a weird way, in the 1980s, many different forces converged to make this possible. And that's one of the reasons why this happens... In the 1980s. The 1980s are a very interesting transitional time for a lot of things. Movies, TV, and of course, children cartoons as well. Yeah. And um, comic books as well. I mean, many different things happened in the 1980s that all kind of converge together to actually make the... So in a weird way, this is all considered general pop culture, I guess. This is the beginning of all this stuff being kind of like... The, like you have an audience that... Is partly because it's being stripped after school, at like late afternoon each day, or maybe even early, or early morning, late afternoon, or even maybe uh, pre prime time. So you've got an audience of not just young children, but their teenage teenagers and uh, parents and, uh, who are watching this stuff. So in a weird way, it's not just disposable kitty crap anymore. You've got these shows partly because some of the production values are not bad either. There's that too that are being watched by a gen- true general audience. And I think that's one of the reasons why they care. It's because yeah. there's that awareness that they're they're targeting a general audience. These shows are meant to be watched not just by the little kids, but also by their older teen, whatever, family members and and, and their parents, of course, because the parents are the ones who are actually paying for the toys. And, and remember, of course, that Star Wars has made, and this is going back to Star Wars, because everything comes back to Star Wars from the 1980s, um, Star Wars, of course, has also made this, uh, this geek culture kind of cool in a way. Yeah. And also in the 1980s, mid-1980s, we've got comic books are suddenly worth money, so comic books are considered high culture at this point as well. <laughs> everything yeah. converges in the mid-1980s. There are so many different factors that are coming together, and they produce this effect.
0: Yeah. I I think you're I think the the comic thing is important too because hmm. this is the era of um comic ain't just for kids uh-huh. where you had like the Watchmen, Dark Knight. Yep, yep. And cool. that all came that all came about because Marvel and DC were desperate to get into the comic shops because mm-hmm. they didn't have a return policy. Yep. But the comic shop crowd tended to be older because in the early 80s they weren't going there for batman they were going there for for the undergrounds the independence the stuff you couldn't get at a newsstand
1: right so
0: that comes in it too oh sorry oh Oh, go ahead
1: yep that comes in that comes in too you also have a whole bunch of comic book writers especially the generation that started in the 1970s that who want to do like different kinds of stories so that's again where we get the dark knight and the rest of them um there's a cultural thing remember this is our generation it's not the boomers anymore this is us yeah. the next generation the boomers are now producing th- this entertainment for us gen x as well so they're, yeah. they're all gen xers for the most part that are producing this no sorry they're boomers sorry that are producing this stuff and so like i said there are so many different i would argue forces and factors that are coming in all at the same time and that's what one of the reasons why for again for movies this is a special period you could argue for television for music for many different for many different reasons it's a transitional period really yeah. and so there's a lot of money involved there's culture involved because and because there's money involved there's lots of culture and there's toy stuff going, and also more advanced marketing and more advanced everything and, the, and this is also the last period before we have the internet and it's the last pe- and it's also but video games are there but they kind of suck <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and w- what I mean is they're not a serious uh, cultural distraction at this point Whereas... Video
2: game,
1: I, I would argue really, they they do become a serious cultural distraction but that starts in the late 80s yeah yeah
0: I think yeah, after the uh, the, the quote unquote video game collapse yes, which, which happens really in wasn't.
1: 84. Which is exactly yeah. when these, ironically well, enough, when this era starts. The video game collapse. The first video game collapse in eighty four, and I think it's like eighty six. I think it is. I'd have to double check when the when the Nintendo Entertainment System the NES, the R version of the Super of the Famicom, comes out and begins to slowly revive video games as a, a new hobby and everything. Yeah. So that all starts to transform around that time. And so this, I would argue, that's one of the reasons why, here, to kind of spoiler, it, it's 85, 86, 87 are the three great years of the half-hour toy commercials. That's when they all kind of, that's their ascendancy, that's their peak, and it's a level that yeah. they will never reach again and yeah i can see that and it's because partly of the, the laws change changed the money is there the creativity is there stan lee is out in california he's putting marvel productions is there the japanese guys are skilled because they've been doing this stuff but they're still willing to work cheap to make animated series so you've got sunbow yeah. entertainment involved you got all these different factors you got the comic books and you got you know the marvel's on its game sort of at least they're not going bankrupt not, <laughs> not, not much any not as much anyway um <laughs> And so you've got all these different factors that are all coming together, and this—that's one of the reasons why I think we're having this podcast. I, I, it sounds like I'm ending the show. I'm not, but I'm just kind of commenting on <laughs> commenting on that. That I think that that's really what created this. Oh, and also syndicated TV is suddenly on the rise, and so now they need content, and you, all this stuff comes together to produce this one great period that occurs. I would argue between really between eighty-five and eighty-seven. Mm-hmm. it doesn't completely end in 87 i mean there are a few things after that but you know it's kind of interesting that the uh, the ones that start coming out in 80 the, even 88 you get things like uh, dino riders and uh, robocop the animated series denver the last dinosaur you this, they're kind of the the tail enders right like they're the yeah. that's that's the point where the toy companies have decided okay the money's gone out of this as well
0: and they're so they're not going to invest anymore not the same level yeah, I think there's that. I think it's the idea that mm-hmm. the old audience is starting to age up. Yeah, they're aging out, yeah, exactly. And and you also you also get the idea that like you say, those those three years, eighty five to eighty seven, are the peak, but then everything becomes a victim of its success because yep. at that point everything that comes out after that is just the formula. Yep. And you
1: could make a very good argument actually that everything that we're talking about is an echo of he-man and the masters of the universe that that the he-man made all the money. And so everyone jumped in, but there's a production time for animated series. There's a delay of about two years, which, and of course the FCC thing happens in 84. So therefore everything that happens in 85, 86 and 87 are ultimately a reaction to he-man and the masters of the universe.
0: Yeah. I think, I think another reason why that's still sort of the heyday is it's not exactly workmanlike yet. Mm-hmm. True. So at the, at the very beginning, like in the 81, 82, 83, the people working on it still kind of cared because you could.
1: There's some of that. Like yeah, it, yeah, true. I mean, some of the because, stuff like Galaxy Rangers, they clearly cared.
0: Well, they did, but remember that wasn't part of this formula. Galaxy Rangers was made to be a cartoon period. Yes. That's true. Like they 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 weren't worrying about the toys. That was what what killed them. But even when you get like say the first few uh, like season or two of GI Joe or the commercials like it's new it's exciting people working on them there wasn't as much oversight as you get when you get near the end of the decade mm, true true yeah when the studios have it all marketed out and it's it's all like I said it's much more structured mm-hmm. that I, that most of the stuff again at the end. It's all, like, literally the same. There's a lot of these these tie-in shows, like the last few Marvel Sunbow ones. It's like they're just taking the script and going, okay, uh, scratch out robot, put in Night with Magic Tattoo, and go. Yeah. You know? yep, yep.
1: Wow. Um, yeah, no, no, I think you're right, especially the stuff by 87. That's pretty, like, if you look at Visionaries, as you just mentioned, or Spiral Zone, mm. uh, Sky Commanders. Like I mean, those are literally all basically the same formula. They're all kind of the same kind of thing, and yeah. then uh, the, the teams look pretty much identical to each other. Like hell, you could even t- say Captain Star- Power and the Soldiers of the Future, which wasn't animated, is still the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and it's there's... still the same team as the Spiral Zone guys <laughs> or the or the Sky Commanders
0: or Divisionaries. Visionaries. Yeah, and there's they still different quality because you, you mentioned like Spiral Zone wasn't bad, but. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's the formula, and like Sky Commanders is, it's it's by virtue of its its core idea, it's it's weirdly interesting. But after an episode, you know what's going to happen to the guys that basically sit in a chair on a zip line, like yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what this the series is. And again, that they're it, it's it's you can you're starting to see who's not giving a shit anymore
1: when they're doing these things right well when i mean when you have to pump this stuff out i mean i don't blame them entirely
0: yeah and and even the good ones they're still it's weird that there's certain episodes they all do
1: oh yeah because i i they literally were taking the episodes and then taking the scripts and just changing the names and reselling the same script to a new to the new show or using the same script for the new show that was literally a thing yeah, there's there's a few.
0: Some of them they 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 do weird like um, a running theme in a lot of these shows is that you meet Dracula at one point. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yep, yep. And I, and I remember I just watched like the Centurions one where they meet Dracula and he's a real vampire and it's 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 not unentertaining, but it's bizarre because you've got this show that otherwise is fairly well grounded in in in. Not hard science fiction, but loose science fiction.
1: Yeah, and then suddenly they're meeting Dracula. It's like, oh, yeah. okay.
0: Uh, sure, why the hell not? Just throw that in. Uh, yeah, no, no. And no. Ev- everyone met Dracula. You're right. Almost everyone anyway.
1: Yeah, sooner or later.
0: Yeah, and and again, it's funny when you start watching these, there's always, like, it, it goes back to, say, my 70s dream Mm-hmm. of getting the Ghost Pirate episode of every Scooby-Doo ripoff and seeing how similar they really are. So... Mm-hmm.
1: You'll probably discover they're all written by the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, we reached our peak in uh, between 85 and 87, as I said, because I guess we're you know, all the forces that produced this, this era came together. And in 87, I would argue, and I think that the uh, Toy Galaxy YouTube channel seems to agree with me on this one, or Secret Galaxy, I guess it's called now, um, that the money kind of went out of it in 87. In 87, for whatever reason, yeah. the, the kids stopped buying the damn toys, or at least didn't buy them as much anyway. And yeah, I think, I think because they weren't, Kids anymore? Yeah, at that and you were right. Exactly. I think that they they kind of aged out. So that target not of because um, I mean there were new kids coming in, of course, but but yeah, the the target not I guess of Gen X kids that were the target of all of this for whatever reason. Stopped buying the toys or weren't buying the toys, and then kids that came after them, I'd have to look at the demographics. Maybe, maybe that was the peak of a uh, of the wave of kids that uh, you know, of Gen X kids. I don't know. I'd actually have to look for that um, to see if that's what's going on there. But for whatever reason, their their younger brothers and sisters didn't buy this stuff at the same way. I mean, yes, there would be booms of children's entertainment coming at the, in the beginning of the '90s. There'd be another round. There'd be more. Uh, of entertainment, of course. Um, in what was it, 92 or 93? We had like Power Rangers and all that. Like, there's, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff yeah. toys being going to be sold in the 90s, too. There definitely are, and TMNT will continue to sell for quite some time, um, in various forms. But for whatever reason, the 80s kind of, um, well, actually, correction I do know the 80s kind of is its own thing, like, it's, it's there, it's this age of animated yeah. TV. Now, I do. Do you know that um, there was a, uh, there was a new law passed the children's television Act of 1990 was passed. So in 1990 there mm. literally is a difference between TV, kids TV before and after 1990 because the concerned citizens came back around again basically and passed, it, passed you know passed some new legislation in the 90s to actually rein some of this stuff back in again. Uh, some of yeah. it not all of it but it, they changed it but again they, they things were definitely more permissive i mean there's a lot more violence you could argue in batman a- animated series in like 92 i think it is than there is in um mm-hmm. than there is in gi joe ironically enough or or a lot of the 80s because yeah. remember the a lot of the 80s toy commercials that we're talking about were basically were somewhat sanitized because i mean they had to be watched by six-year-olds and uh, they had to meet network standards. Whereas it's interesting that by the 90s, some of those standards got kind of thrown out. And suddenly we've got shows that have like blood and we've got shows that were doing different things and were a little more violent and a little more direct, actually. And I I, I kind of wonder sometimes why, why there was a shift between the 80s and the 90s. But I guess some of it was the toy companies weren't the ones paying for it anymore.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple things mm-hmm. that happen is... You got to remember for us being kids in the 70s, a lot of what we kind of mm-hmm. grew up in happened then. Like Saturday morning TV mm-hmm. was new. The idea of syndicated cartoons, that was kind of mm-hmm. a new idea. Even the idea of action figures, they really don't happen till the 60s. But once Star Wars hits, that kind of sets the trend. Yep. And it blows up huge. So so that was kind of the prime era for action figures. When you get to the 90s, the kids that are growing up in that era, none of the stuff is really new to them. It sort of mm-hmm. just is. <clears throat> and I think that takes some of kind of like the, 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 the shine off the pecs, as it yep. were, kind of thing. And when you get to that point, what you get is now you've got Cable, and it's not too far till you get the internet so your audience is breaking up so it's not like saturday morning you had like mm-hmm. three choices for for networks so more people were watching the same thing it was more of a communal oh, event
1: sense. yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah whereas for like kids growing up in the 90s you're a little more segregated so you're not all sharing the same thing like cable cable is kind of the new place for cartoons and and such and kids Mm -hmm. stuff because at that point saturday morning tv by the mid 90s is all like news programs on on the regular networks that's true so it's not that shared event and then what you also get in the 90s because i'm gonna say the point where this all ends Mm -hmm. is 1994 oh
1: interesting why 94
0: yeah, it's not that it exactly ends, because you still have half-hour toy ads in the 90s. But like you say, they're not nearly as good, mm-hmm. because like you say, the money's out of it. I I think it feels more workmanlike, so I don't think people care to do it anymore. It's now just a right. job. And what you really see happen at night in 1994 is that's the final shift where toys stop being toys and become collector's items. Ah. Uh, because that's the beginning of Todd toys. Right. Yeah. Todd McFarlane and his toy company mar- marketing them to old, to collectors. Yeah. Yeah. And I think again, it's, it's that's, you've had this percolating because again, like you say, after 87, mm-hmm. the peak is done, but a lot of the, the people who would have been kids in the target audience are now teenagers. Yeah, that's true. So if, if they have an interest in in a lot of this stuff, again, it's now as like a collector or just as a, as like kitsch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So McFarlane codifies that with Todd Toys, and that's kind of uh, we've talked about for comics, but it applied to action figures and damn near everything else. Nerdly, that this is the heir of the instant collectible. Mm-hmm. So it's not. It's not that, like, I'm buying the toys to play along with, like, my favorite show. Now I'm buying them because I know they'll be worth money. I'm not getting the same kind of visceral enjoyment out of it that I did. Right, right. It makes sense, yeah. And, and because this is old hat, it's like we said with the comics, that in the 90s, North American comics didn't bring the kids in. Well, you're seeing that with a lot of this stuff because it's still being tailored to the adults because... That kid audience, nobody knows where it is, and nobody's trying to find it because it's just easier to do more direct marketing to these already established groups. Yep, yep, definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and then, and then that's like I say. And then what you get nowadays, you still have some of this, where, there, the the companies and the networks and that will work together, like they did in the eighties, and you get stuff where they'll do add ons, and you get stuff that's, there'll be things that are. Like a second thought or half planned out, mm-hmm. I can think of a of a of a series that it was designed around a toy that didn't exist, right? Wait. and then they never they never got the toy. Which one? I'm thinking of a uh, Digata Defenders. Oh,
1: Digata Defenders, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, okay, that makes sense. That was it. It was supposed to be based around a game that you could yes. buy, and 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 it. Wasn't because they didn't have the game when it went into production, but then they just released it as a show mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, true. Because it was it it was already half done, so and yes, you, you see a lot of stuff like that. The only the only one that really consistently I think works together are the uh the Lego. These days, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, no, actually, that's not that quite they, true. I mean, the the you know the Disney stuff like the Star Wars and. Mar- at least the Star Wars side of things, not so much the Marvel, but definitely the Star Wars side of things
0: definitely does, they make an attempt to work together. They do, but I think it's, again, more like that late 70s, early 80s thing Mm -hmm. that they're not exactly planning together that, like, when they do the new season of The Mandalorian, Mm -hmm. it's designed as a TV show. The toys are definitely part of it. There's Mm cross-planning on that but each department is kind of left more to its own devices. It's not like um like the Marvel Sunbow thing where they're they're working almost hand in that hand. that I agree
1: with. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Nope, No, I th- I yeah. think so. I think so.
0: Um cuz mm. that's that's like the, the if you like the Marvel stuff, the Marvel mm-hmm. movies and the TV shows are made independent, the toys are made independent, and the comics are almost superfluous yeah, at this yeah, point
1: pretty much superfluous i mean is marvel even still publishing or have they gone out to idw yet i guess they're i guess they're still publishing <laughs> was it mm-hmm? yeah they they Wait, oh, sorry, I think it was either ahead. marvel or dc that i remember hearing we're going to just sell them they were just going to sub-license them to the idw and basically call it a day i can't remember which which of the two but there were there was actual talks that they were just going to shut the whole so the whole thing down and just let idw sub-license and publish it instead
0: yeah, I, th- I think that's probably rumors. Cause I think what you get is mm-hmm. um, both of them are part of like big, com- like corporate networks. Yeah, yeah. And as I understand it, like uh, Marvel Comics and mm-hmm. the D- the DC public. Well, DC was always this. Yeah, yeah. Because they used to be owned by like Time Warner back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, for Marvel and DC, the comics still exist. Kind of, um, they're a bit of a test market. But because the comics aren't big, they're mostly just there to hold the licenses to the characters. Pretty much, yeah.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, Especially so like... Especially older characters, because there's certain characters that if they don't publish up front occasionally, they'll literally, those characters might revert back to the original creators or something, if I remember right.
0: Yeah, there's there's a few... Some of that, It's it's not clear if that's really the case, but I can see them not wanting to take the chance. Yeah, pretty much. I,
1: well, I heard that's why certain villains have to rotate back in. That's why no villain, not, no popular villain anyway, ever stays dead because they have to bring them back into publication on a regular basis just to make sure that they have the claim for that character.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's not exactly an official thing, but it's the idea that, remember, all of these characters were designed by different people, mm-hmm. and the old comic book work-for-hire model meant whatever you did, they owned.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: But then when uh, like Siegel and Schuster and Bill Fingernet got some of the rights to their old characters back or it became known, mm-hmm. I think there's a fear that even though I don't know to pick a just a character out, out of my ass, even though like say um, Egg Fu is owned by DC Comics, mm-hmm. that they might get worried if they don't put a book out with it, the person or the grandkids of the person who designed the character could then say "Well, we haven't done anything in like 20 years with this character so it's obvious you don't care and it was dubious how you got them in the first place so maybe I can get them back and even though that person's going to lose miserably it looks bad for the company as a whole probably yeah
1: I, I think that's probably what's really going on yeah because as you said yeah. there's work for hire so in properly speaking Marvel should own the rights to all these characters and so should DC
0: yeah, but, like, again, there's some murkiness to it, too. There's also the idea of intent. Mm, that's true. That what was the intent back then did these people... Because, as I recall... Oh, shoot. Was that what, uh... Oh, was that what, um... Uh, mm-hmm. Bob Kane did for Batman? Or somebody you, wanted...
1: One of the Batman guys did that? I don't remember, sorry.
0: Or, or one of the... Or one of, like, the... There was one of them that that was kind of the uh, the argument that they didn't know what they were getting into when they were hired therefore they couldn't form proper intent and again even if the company's going to, they're going to win yeah it's going to look bad and they're they're afraid of of that bad publicity
1: yeah they don't want to or risk it they don't want to risk it at all cuz all it's going to take is one judge to say you know that's right you should have the character back and the floodgates are open yeah that's all you know it's like yeah. yep you you, yeah that's right you you definitely stilt man should it, it was created by your 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 dad yeah you should get the rights to stilt man back <laughs>
0: and uh, right. or condiment king yeah there we go it's like oh thanks <laughs> and then like marvel loses out on a powerhouse character like stilt man yeah, exactly. loved by dozens
1: exactly yeah well there we go um so yeah Sorry. Oh, Go. sorry so Go ahead. so I think you're right I think you're right and I think that um, at that and 80, 94 you're right is kind of the true end where because as you said there's no money in it because the toy the toy market is kind of collapsed by that point pretty much entirely I mean there's still toys and they're still selling but it's not really the same anymore yeah and they're, they're and not and it's not enough for them to also they realized I think by this point that they just have a problem. Which is it's hard to make it you know hit, to make a big synergistic hit is expensive. It's hard and expensive, so and just sometimes not even worth it. Not not worth the effort because remember they did have a whole bunch of failures. There were Sky Command for every you know GI Joe. There was a Sky Commander, for example, or a Spiral Zone, or
0: or Ring Raiders, or, or
1: Ring Raiders, or yeah, oh God help us, Ring Raiders, uh, or, or Diner Riders. I mean, or Starcom, Starcom. Oh yeah, them too. There were, you know, there were all these, like, were probably very expensive failures. In fact, again, going back to the uh, Toy Galaxy YouTube channel, I remember one or two of these even put the company out of business. There's a reason why some of the toy makers literally ended up being bought out, usually by Hasbro, uh, by bigger companies, (laughs) because they literally went out of business because they tried to do the He-Man thing and it failed. Yeah. Um, I don't remember specifically which ones, but I, I remember they've talked about one or two that that actually happened. I mean, you they, take, they took their chances and it didn't work out. So it just became easier. Also, there's a certain point, and I think it's this happens in the 90s, uh, especially with the Power Rangers going back to them. Suddenly, they're like, wait a sec. You know, Bandai is like, well, wait a moment. We can just directly sell these like robot toys with Power Rangers labels slapped on them Again, we've got the molds, we've got the toys, and they're now power, you know, popular again. You know these Power Rangers toys, Sentai toys, are popular in North America. A few years later, okay, we'll just sell them again. And so Bandai just starts yeah. selling directly. They're not bothering to do the Transformers thing where they're going to Hasbro anymore. They're just going right in. You know, yeah. Bandai America, bang! Suddenly they're they're selling you know, you know Power Zords or whatever for it to go along with the Mighty Morphins. So i mean so again the to- now ironically enough bandai in the in japan has never stopped putting money into cartoons because it still works yeah. great there this is the great irony right even to this very day it, they're still doing it. not as much as they used to i would argue because I, I still um i still keep track of the anime that's coming out of japan and there does seem to have been a point a couple years back more than a couple of years back, like we could probably do a whole show on it, um, where even Bandai basically said, "You know, there really isn't that much point in us putting more money into these show into these shows anymore, except for a few guaranteed yeah. winners." So Bandai puts their money into uh, that year's uh, *Kamen Rider* series, that year's *Ultraman* series, that year's *Sentai* series, um, that year's *Gundam* series for their animation side. And maybe they'll put some money into some you know game about kids and tops, you know, kids with tops fighting each other or something like that, right? <laughs> uh, or whatever, yeah. or whatever you know project. But the majority of anime even are not sponsored by toy companies anymore.
0: They're not. Yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet it's kinda Japan's has been doing the '80s formula since the '60s, really. Right. And I think what you're seeing now is. They've their their nerdly arts were always different because you kind of had a um, a dedicated, educated, long term fan base right out of the gate. Yes, you did. Yep. Whereas we didn't. So when you got like a Gundam, the original Gundam happened, it brought a lot of different fandoms together, and that was one of the reasons when you get to the '80s in Japan, and you get like their toy tie-ins and. Like their their cartoons, they were so much better and more in depth than ours. Oh, yeah. But it's because they had that audience.
1: Yep. No. No. Also, I would argue that at least since the '80s, probably earlier. Actually, no. Since the '70s, the Japanese have been doing the synergy thing. Like there's no doubt yeah. they've been doing some variation of this synergy thing since the '70s, since back in the old Super Robot days. In fact, I would argue the Super Robots might have been the first time they kind of figured that out. Though maybe it even goes back to um, uh, Gatchaman and maybe some of the other stuff. Yeah, like goes... uh, Timeboken.
0: Yeah, uh, it 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 it's the the Super Robots are kind of like their '80s where they perfected it. Yeah. But they did it back then because, again, it was the idea that when you produced a license in Japan, you wanted the whole package right out of the gate. So we talked about, say, Microman, Micronauts. Mm -hmm. Microman comes out in Japan in in, uh, 74. Mm -hmm. And it's Microman Zone is the original. It's like four figures in these weird little vehicles. Yes. And then the end of the year, beginning of 75, they expand on it. But there's a story right out of the gate. There's this fully... Before Microman was Henshin Cyborg. Yes. And Henshin Cyborg was them using the Hasbro G.I. Joe body to make science fiction-y things. Mm-hmm. And even then, there was more of a story to it. It wasn't as cohesive as the Microman one. Like, Microman was kind of Japan's Star Wars. It was huge. It was everywhere. But it had this fully thought-out background almost out of the gate. And then each year, the new toys they added, added to that background. Right. So you got, and in a way that we didn't do here till GI Joe, but they were doing it from the beginning, just for the toys. Like they did a, like say a microman comic and that, but they, they were kind of add ons as the things went along. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, every character had a, a full story. So right out the, the gate, they were like refugees from a, from a planet that blew up and they put themselves in time capsules to send send themselves when micro-Earth blew up, except the way they transliterate it in the original, it could be micro-ass.
1: <laughs> right, yeah.
0: Because it's, 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 it's Asu, Asu which, is, yeah. which, which isn't the usual Hepburn, reverse Hepburn, I guess, iteration of Earth, but that's what they meant. But yeah, when micro-ass blew up and they came to Earth... They got turned into these like cyborg mystic robot guys passing through like different types of cosmic radiation. Well, that's the first series. Yeah, yeah. They add like the second run of the thing, they had a thing called the Spy Magician, which were these like this group of secret agent dudes that had special powers because they had like techno wands and armbands that gave them powers. Mm-hmm. And they were the survivors of yeah, like basically the secret police for micro ass before it, it blew up and that adds to the story but then they also added the gimmick that they came with extra like armbands and wands because the spy magicians would teach their 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 like ninja skills to the other microman and then you'd give the your old figure the armband and the wand to say oh he's got new powers now and then mm. the next run they do like microman command which were Micromen that left their planet like a long time ago and using this special uh it's like zadium beam or I forget what it's called they can detect them and number groups of them were actually on earth and they're like kind of the 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 royalty of of the uh the populace of micro ass and they're they take over command of earthborne operations because the bad guys were the our couriers, who were like our, microman mutants and some of them ended up on earth and they've been secretly infesting earth society so they when they find the microman command they coordinate effort and then Every year, the toy line is actually adding to the overall story. So by mm-hmm. the, the end, you've got this huge, complicated backstory, which, like I say, we didn't really do until G.I. Joe, like more than a decade later.
1: Right, right. I, I, would, I would compare it more to Transformers than G.I. Joe, which, of course, is ironic since one of those evolutions of uh, Microman are what became the first generation Transformers. Yeah. Uh, toys, I mean. The toys did. Um, so the yeah. question though, but Microman, they didn't even have an animated series, did they? This was all done maybe through the toys and maybe through manga at most.
0: Yeah, there was, there was basically, I think they did, uh, it was like three or four tankuban worth. They appeared in one of like the kids' television magazines back in the day. Right, right. But yeah, no, there was, there was no animated series because looking back, a lot of people wonder why there wasn't because it was so crazy popular. Mm-hmm. But yeah it was it was all the toys that they used to come with these little inserts and the inserts would detail these big epic stories.
1: yeah because I think I think microman was done by Takara if I remember right. wasn't it? yeah yeah yep. so to, I guess you know Takara was kind of just Bandai's cheaper cheaper brother I guess so they, uh, they they decided not to put the money into microman for for one reason or another It may be because they were putting all their money into giant robot shows at that point or super robot shows to be precise.
0: Yeah, because their formula at that time worked the other way around. That basically you did the show mm-hmm. and then based the toys on the show. Yeah, That it wasn't exact. And that was, I think that happened because of a messenger.
1: Right. Well, it started out that way. But I know by the time we got to the original Gundam, the reason that the original Gundams look like they do is that they're so toy-rific is because they were
0: changing the designs of the Mecha to suit the toy company. Yeah, but that, that, again, that was sort of a, a newer thing. They they did some of it. I think it goes back probably to Godzilla. It all goes back to Godzilla. But ag- okay, sure. Yeah, but again, because Godzilla was crazy marketed. But again, mm-hmm. it was that idea that the movies came first and then you maybe loosely based the toys on the movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. But again, it was like it was like us in the 70s that wasn't really cohesive. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think Gundam is probably... Because the super robots, they would back and forth with the toy producers. Yes. But I think Gundam is probably yeah, the first point where you had any kind of back and forth, because I think that was one of the the first times that Tomono had an actual story in mind.
1: I don't think did. that's actually I sorry, I disagree with you. I suspect that's okay. not the case. Um, because I'm pretty sure that okay, originally the super robot came first. Absolutely because Messenger, right? But I think that there's mm-hmm. a certain point, only a year or two after Mazinger, and it might be by the time by the time we're getting to the non-Gonagai ones, or maybe, I'm thinking maybe Combatler 5, one of those, I'm pretty sure there's one of those super robot shows that probably is the first one where the toy company said, well, you know, this is what we'd like it to look like. And they're like, okay, we can do that. And then the toy company starts riding, you know, riding herd because very quickly the toy companies probably realized that the best way to make sure that they had the exclusive rights was to sponsor the show in the first place cuz yeah. the shows were going to get made and they're like well okay so we'll so we'll have um so we're going to do this one that's about you know this another group of like you know kids from all walks of life who come together to pilot this giant robot and you know defeat evil robots and stuff and um we're going to call it goddamn go wapper 5 because that's like the best <laughs> Mecca name ever. And I'm going to slip that in every chance I get. Um, so the, so, you know, so, they're, and so I'm pretty sure by goddamn GoWapper5, the toy companies were already sponsoring it, were already involved. Because so many designs are toy-rific at a certain point. It's, that's got to be the case.
0: Yeah, I think, oh, I think you're right. Why do I want to say it was uh, Guy King?
1: That wouldn't surprise me. It could be Guy King. Yeah. I was thinking it might be Combatler 5, but I'm but I might be wrong on that.
0: Yeah, I think you're right that there there there's got to be one cuz you, you are right that by the end of the 70s, the uh the 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 toy companies were really really like dug in deep on them.
1: Because they yeah, I mean, these the, why not, right? I mean, this, the best way to get exclusive rights is to be the sponsor of the show. And the, the TV companies like yeah. needed sponsors to because they were producing fifty two episodes of animation or or attempting to anyway, um, and so they 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 needed the, one side wanted the exclusive rights and was had money and one side needed money to produce their show so it was a match made in heaven. Yeah, and I would argue that's kind of what happened even that's and I would argue that it was the Japanese system that already existed to this, some degree maybe the Americans recreated it by accident. Or maybe I think, which I think is what happened. I don't think it was on purpose, but maybe because remember, almost all these shows are animated by Japanese companies, and even Will Minio points out that they all had Japanese partners, so they were working with the Japanese. So they they saw what the Japanese were doing, and they're like, "Well, we could do that too." That's what I think, anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I, I think it was parallel development because I I don't think anybody. Actually sat down and like I say, I think what started here was when Marvel did the Micronauts. Okay. That that was that was what led to to GI Joe, and that was what was was uh when when they did uh, Masters of the Universe, that was kind of mm-hmm. kind of what what they were thinking was uh, using the the TV show to tie in. Because the thing that I find uh, interesting about the uh, Masters of the Universe mm-hmm. thing. Is um, if you if you watch the 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 cartoon by Filmation, just a couple years ago they did uh Filmation did Black Star. Mm, yes, Black Star and He Man and the Masters of the Universe are remarkably similar. Not just because you know they like to reuse footage from everything and everything, oh, yeah. but the the concepts, the ideas, and that are very similar. And part of me sort of wonders if maybe um, that might have been how hasbro got involved with them
1: maybe i mean
0: that yeah maybe well yeah got well, wait a second they sort of they had a, master's of
1: universe wasn't hasbro it was another company wasn't it
0: yeah it was mattel i mean correction mattel oh, has, that's I what I was still are getting i oh, sorry
1: i got confused there for a while because yeah mattel might have got involved with them because they're like well you're already doing this kind of thing, so okay. Could you do one for us? Because we because remember, of course, we talked about this. I think before when He-Man first comes out, He-Man is a completely different character and completely different concept. The the comics that come, which I think were done by Marvel. No, they were, were they done by Marvel or DC. I can't remember which. Um,
0: but the mini comics. I, yeah, I don't remember who did the original inserts. They they weren't exactly comics. They were those. Here's a picture with with like a write up okay. underneath for every page. Okay. DC did the premiere because they did a, a deal with DC, mm-hmm. and and He Man is actually part of the DC continuity because he meets Superman. Yes. It was like it was an insert in a bunch of their comics, and then the show comes out and the show kind of follows that a little bit more, because mm-hmm. yeah, the inserts that came with the actual figures when they first came out, um, which is why it sort of seems to me they they weren't they weren't quite um. Mm-hmm they weren't quite sure of how the the overlap was going to work was that the um yeah he-man was a caveman who found um who found the, the like the ghost of the sorceress that gave him his equipment and skeletor was part of this interdimensional army He was like their vanguard invading he-man's world and blah and they blah blah. and each had
1: half of the great star sword or whatever it was called wasn't it
0: yeah, the, that you needed to get into Castle Grayskull, which is where the ancients hid all their secrets. Right,
1: right. exactly. So yeah, that makes sense. And then of course that would get reused. Was it Black Star that had the, the he and the villain had
0: each half the sword? Well, this is this is what I mean. I'm I'm kind of wondering now because. Yeah, that it was the uh the the was it the the star sword?
1: Yeah, the star sword. Yeah, that they each had. Yeah, the star sword, and I don't remember what. Yeah, yeah, and the villain, whatever, bad guy, whatever, had had, had the other half the sword.
0: Overlord. Hmm. Yeah. O- Overlord was the bad guy. Overlord. Yes. There we go. Yeah. And again, that came out in eighty one, and and like I say, it is remarkably what ended up happening is remarkably similar to the uh, Masters of the Universe. Yeah, it
1: is, isn't it? So what you're telling me is the people that worked on Masters of the or on uh, Black Star just simply went on and worked on Masters of the Universe and said, "Yeah, we're going to take the this template and we're just going to paste it right, cut and paste it right on."
0: Yeah, like there's there's even to the point that there's um, uh, the the idea that Black Star is an astronaut that yes. went through an interdimensional warp and crashed on on the world. Was it Sagar was the world? Yes,
1: Sagar, Yeah, sounds right.
0: Yeah, that was that story. And if there's an episode of the He-Man cartoon where you find out that that uh, Prince Adam's mother yep. was an astronaut from our world that went through a black hole and ended up uh, ended up on the world of Eternity. Exactly.
1: So she's basically the son, yeah he he's the son of the Black Star ish character. Yeah, pretty much. They just copy that mm-hmm. right out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of the way it worked. And so it's like okay. I mean, here that you got a formula that worked, all sort of. I mean, I don't remember Blackstar being actually all that popular, to be honest. I remember it being kind of like, kind of, kind of bland filler, basically. But that's my recollection yeah, as a kid.
0: Yeah, because you got to remember, he's competing with uh, Thundar, and you're not going to win. That's true. Very, very true. Yeah, because that's Blackstar is a weird one because it gets into the formula we were talking about retroactively because basically like two years after the show is cancelled, Galoob does action figures. Yes, I know. It's sad. It's very, very sad. It's Well, it's sad too, because the Black Star action figures were very nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. I remember I remember because mm-hmm. that was when I was entering like the collector's phase and I had some of the monster guys and they were good, solid figures and they looked, they they straddled that line between looking toyetic and having like detail mm-hmm. and looking like monster fairly well. Like they, they were a decent, decent set. Right, right. So if you had to pick from this
1: period in the 80s, this golden time, okay? So what do you <laughs> think was the best show that came out of this period like what what,
0: what was oh, of peak? course. oh it has to be poochie
1: oh well, I, I forgot about poochie yeah you're right i guess okay never mind a silly question
0: <laughs> well see that's that's a weird question because again there's ways to look because you could look at what do you think was the the, the technical oh, peak? that's a good point what what was your favorite okay let's let's what split it up then? okay so what best? was the
1: technical peak of this of this period
0: oh man that's a there were a few that again from just like a technical animation point of view were were pretty Mm -hmm. good and some of these were really some of these had so many episodes there were bound to be some clunkers i'd have to say i think for technical quality if we're talking about the toy Mm -hmm. ads i would probably go with one of my favorites the centurions
1: okay okay i could see that
0: why like the-, the animation was 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 well done for one of these things it was a uh, Ruby yes, spears yeah. it wasn't it was, uh it was Ruby Sears, yep it was it was written a little better you could tell the people working on it were were putting a little extra effort there were some interesting like character twists and stuff. Uh, the 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 design work on it it was like uh, shoot it was like I think Kirby did design work Nick Kadri did design mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. on it, it was, there was there was a bunch of these like legendary cartoonists that that worked so there was a little more detail in right, that right, to it yeah. but yeah I th- I think for for overall technical co- it was the one and, and it still worked within all the limits and they still met Dracula and like I said I think it was it was probably from from a technical point of view the best there's one that there's two that I would put in competing but they weren't part of the toy ad thing they were done as cartoons which are such so uh that would be the Galaxy yeah, Rangers that, which
1: is what I expect you to actually say but if but if okay but you consider that outside of the proper toy commercial one which is fair because it really wasn't yeah Yeah, because that one and another one of my favorites, uh, Galaxy High. Okay. If you're going to put outside, I I can totally see that. Um, Interesting, you didn't mention the one I would actually pick. Um, Which is? Bionic 6. Ah, okay. I would argue that Bionic 6 uh, had probably the best animation of that period. Um, And now, Bionic 6 is a tricky one because I don't know if it you might win on the Centurions being more toy whereas Bionic 6 I still don't know and I'd have to go back and check whether they went from toys to show or show and it's like does anyone want to make our toys and somebody and I think I it, who made the Bionic 6 toys I'm trying to remember there were toys
0: I think I think I that was, it was too. yeah
1: it sounds right so I don't remember the toys being all that popular like I remember the, the, there were there were yeah, toys the- but they were kind of okay And were, but the show was amazing like it was well written. Mm-hmm. It was well. It was good, solid Japanese animation. It was a, like an A-list Japanese studio that did it, um, and, yeah. um, and 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 oh, L- 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 LJN. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, yeah. So and they and, and hell and, and any show that rips off Gatchaman as its opening is actually is pretty is, is pretty damn good. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's yeah. No, no. I would I would go with um, Bionic Six. I would agree from a non torific technical thing, Galaxy Rangers. I would actually argue would I would say is the peak yeah. was the peak. Like that was the best that the Americans actually did during that period. I would argue was Galaxy that I saw anyway. I mean, I actually never saw Star Command. We talked about this before, where it's what it was never shown on my local syndicated shows, so I never saw it. Um, yeah, oh, Starcom, uh, the yeah, Starcom, Starcom one. Yeah. So I don't know how good it was, uh, but I do know that the, the Adventures of the Galaxy Rangers was solid. Well, at least the first beginning of it was anyway (laughs) um actually that's one other thing i will give bionic 6 unlike galaxy rangers Bionic 6 has an ending it's like and they actually kind of all worked its way around and they did a proper ending where you know all the well here i'll spoil it is the 40 year old spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it so you know, they the Bionic Six is like the family that were given Bionic powers because to save their lives. Bionics being used very loosely here is just an excuse for superpowers, but whatever, we'll go with that. Um, yeah, and, but in the end, the bad guys basically win. Like the the bad guys basically come up with a way to like basically take over the world. The bad guys win, and. That's of course. That's not where it ends. They imprison the Bionic Six, and they're trying. But then all the characters that the Bionic Six have helped basically through the series, all the other basically kind of formed their own superhero team and basically break and save the Bionic Six. There's a whole bunch of like the Bandroids, and oh, there's the guy there? Guy, there was a blind guy named Sensor or something like. that, Who was kind of like the Bionic Six's um, not evil but not good rival guy, basically, and. like, oh there was and there was uh-huh. another character or two that were that they all formed this team that basically went up against like the bad guy army basically to save the Bionic six and uh, and then they all you know right. all, once they got them out they you know every, all everyone worked together to like defeat the bad guys once and for all like you know it it wasn't a perfect show but it was it was it was pretty damn good and they did and uh, you know they they uh So at least, and they knew their limitations. And I think it ran for, what, 52 episodes or something like that. And that was it. They were done. Yeah, 65. And they, they, 65, there we go. But the key point is that they still knew, it's like, okay, this is the end. Or at least uh, this is an end anyway. And they worked within that. And so it was fine. Um, And uh, I thought that that, that, for me, that was the, I guess you could say the peak of, um, peak quality, I guess, for the whole thing. Now, oddly enough, I'm not sure I would say that's my favorite, but right. it's definitely the peak quality. Okay, so out of curiosity, what was your favorite then?
0: <laughs> this this is tricky. And I got to say, I, kind, I can see the point in the Bionic 6. It was one of the better ones. Right, yep. The only thing that I, there were two kind of sticking points why I rate it lower than Centurions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is I hate things with kids in them. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Even
0: as a kid, I hated things with kids. They did a decent job. Like, they they, they were kids. They weren't quite as... Well, they were stereotypical, but they kind of fleshed them out a little more than you usually see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were... Yep. And it had the problem of, like, the, the bumbling bad guys. I hate that.
1: Yes, that, I hated that, too. And that's why I wouldn't say it was my favorite. I'd say te- it was the highest technical quality, but, yeah, the bumbling bad guys
0: did piss me off. Yeah, Especially- that part... Yeah, on. Uh, oh, I was gonna say, especially because they're so like, they were interesting designs and weird, yeah, creepy, and and I want to see these guys doing stuff, not just like arguing, like you know. Mm, yeah. So. Okay, so what was your favorite then? It's it's a hard call for favorite because one of the nice things about this time, especially the first half of the '80s, is nobody knew what to do, so they had so many just crazy, over the top, weird ideas. Mm-hmm. And out of that comes what I think is probably my favorite, the Inhumanoids. I knew you were gonna say that.
1: <laughs> I, I, I should, have. yeah, the Inhumanoids. Yep, yep. I, I, for your taste, I believe it. I hundred percent believe it. <laughs> I be- oh. and the because the Inhumanoids is basically what it's like Cthulhu, the animated series, basically.
0: <laughs> it's... It's that it's not even just that, but like the the characters themselves, they made such a point like mm. of doing weird ass things like the the ah, oh, forget his name, the bald guy on the team. Right. He's the guy with anger management problems because one of the running gags is they'll watch the news and their arch enemy is this this corporate executive that he runs this big company, mm-hmm. and he's always making them look like idiots in that. And one of the running gags is the bald guy beats the shit out of the television. Now they're upset because they can't afford a new TV, right? And half like near the end of the series, that guy runs for like governor and gets elected. And you're like, I want to see more of that. There's there's one of the bad guys that they kill in one of the early episodes, and then bring him back is this like. <clears throat> this weird composite worm zombie thing and you're, that's i want to see more of that mm-hmm. they were like willing to to put there there's even a weird thing that um one of the later members of the team mm-hmm. he's he's a cyborg he's a, a fighter pilot that gets shot down and messed up and they rebuild him as a cyborg but he's still quite a not right in the head and his code name is Ace, and it's the his name I can't remember it. It's the same name as Ace from GI Joe. Oh, okay. So that one of the running things that fans have always wondered is: is that actually the GI Joe guy, right, who got messed up on one of his missions trying to stop these? Mo- and and again, it was just so weird and messed up. And I'm like, it's one of the few things I'd like to see them bring back. Mm. <laughs> with a del toro heading it up
1: oh yeah no 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 i could tell totally... you no, no 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 okay i can see that mm-hmm. huh okay um I, yeah for me i you know i'm gonna have to give the what i would describe <laughs> as the it's gonna sound like the cop-out answer but it actually uh-huh. is the real answer and no it's not on my little pony um okay the, herself the elf what what
0: herself the elf.
1: herself the elf oh that's no no and it's not beverly hills teens either uh um, that one didn't have toys uh but uh, no actually the answer would pro, and this is a tough one but actually i would argue transformers you know i just okay. i was just an old school transformers fan you know i did you know that was my, one of my favorite show i watched them all like half dozen times basically in syndication and such um i like the gi joes too but the Transformers yeah. were definitely my favorite out of the set, out, out of this period. Uh, that's not really a
0: reach. That was a pretty good show. It was,
1: and it's at its best. It, it was a really good show, and so I don't think that. I, that's why I don't call it. It's I, I call it the sounds like the cop out answer because I would. It's arguably the most famous <laughs> out of all of them, like or at least the most yeah. like, s- successful in its post nineteen eighties life. There's no question on that. It's the one that's like made billions of dollars of movies. God help us all. Um, but it's also the one that, uh, yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate Humanoids. I, G.I. Joe would probably be my second one because I, you know, I actually like them. Right. I, that, the, I like the Um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed them. I mean, they were generally written by the same people, so it's not really a surprise. Um, and I was the yeah. perfect age for them when they came out, so, you know, it's one of those things. Um, now here's a. I'm gonna throw a curveball question for you since we're doing some. You know, last so this just to end this episode on. So let's say. So which one had the best
0: theme song? Oh, actually, that's, that's that's a tough call because, again, we've mentioned that the '80s is the MTV decade, yes. and all of these shows had had fantastic openings and theme songs. Yes, they did. Oh, that's a tough one. I can narrow it down to two, but I don't think I can pick one. Okay, what are your top two? Would probably be a Jason the Wheeled Warriors yeah. or the Galaxy Rangers. Oh, um, yeah. Which I have on my iPod. No,
1: no, no. I agree with both of those. And actually, those, those, <laughs> mm-hmm. I had those on my... I probably still do have one in my playlists, too. Nope, I agree with you on both of them. I agree with both of them. The... Um, there's something about the jason willed warriors one yeah no 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 and you could even work out to that one and everything yeah no no question <laughs> on that and the galaxy rangers is just just plain cool um actually the bionic 6 mm-hmm. oddly enough had a pretty good theme song as well yep, the yeah bionic 6 had a good one, yeah. one that i when i had st- i'm just thinking about what stuck with me over the years uh, another one that stuck with me, cops c-o-p-s oh now but it, it has, use, it has, yeah, it has no lyrics. Or it it's just instrumental. Well, they're saying cops, yeah. but I remember it has, yeah. it has, it has a nice beat to it and everything like that. So I was always very fond. Uh, okay. That's you're right. Okay. Fine. Maybe not the best theme yeah. song, But instrumental wise, I would actually say it had one of the best ones. Uh,
0: it was... Exactly. Yeah.
1: And all those Canadian... Mark Daly and all the Canadian Toronto voice actors doing all the voices for them. So we got the... That's the thing about cops. You're watching the TV... You're watching cops, and then the commercial comes on, and you hear BP Vest telling you about what's coming up next on City TV. I know. And then you see him in real life, and he's just kind of this, like, nerdy-looking guy. Exactly. And on TV, he's this huge, you know, huge muscled black cyborg guy. It's like, okay.
0: Yeah. Sure. There was, because that's another one of the shows mm-hmm. that, because uh, I've watched a few of these fairly recently. That was another one that I thought was pretty good mm-hmm. because they sort of knew it was going to be silly yeah, right out yeah, the gate. Did. And case in point, when we were in high school for a while, we called Dope Mace. <laughs> okay. He looked like Mace. You he looks like him, yeah especially cuz back in high school he was a big giant muscle thug so we called him Mace he had the smile yep. and because they knew it was going to be goofy they really turned into that and it was interesting cuz of a lot of these shows cops had probably some of the best character development okay because they made the characters characters yeah, yeah. it was very character centered yeah true yeah and, and and again, it was kind of silly. So they didn't have the edge or pretend edge that the rest of them did. They could interact. Mm-hmm. So they did stuff like there was like one of the good guys, one of the bad guys had kind of a thing for each other and they could do episodes that focused on that because it wasn't about the adventure as much as the characters. Yeah. And then they had stuff like um, a couple of the bad guys, like two of the dumber guys were always like trying to find get-rich-quick mm-hmm. schemes. So they would do like weird like get rich quick schemes that weren't exactly crimes and then the heroes wouldn't know what to do about it yeah and it just basically be them just bantering at each other for 24 minutes and it yeah that was actually overall that was one that's one of the ones that i would say um my 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 rating system i have a five point rating system for things Mm -hmm. and at each end is good and bad right in the middle is meh. Right. And then to either side of meh, I have what I call um, near-miss good, near-miss bad. Uh-huh. So a near-miss bad is something that if you tightened up something on it, it would be passable. Right. yeah, yeah. And a near-miss good is something that it's not really good, but there's just enough there to say, yeah, okay, that's not bad. Cops is like a near-miss yeah, good. Yeah, yeah,
1: I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. No,
0: no, Top. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, The
1: Cops was one of, I think it came right at the end, it came in 88, and it was, yeah. it was kind of that, the it was an almost echo wave of what had come before, like, you know, one of those things that they had in production, and it's like, well, the, the bottom's gone out, but we've got it anyway, and so, okay, let's make our money from it, I, I think, at least that's what I think happened there.
0: Yeah, they'd have to because the show wasn't real cheap, and the, neither were the toys. So they probably everybody realized, we got to sell something, or this is going to be a huge, huge yep, loss. Yep, exactly.
1: I think, and I think that's exactly what happened because they're like they're big muscle guys for the most part. They they were good. They were interesting yeah. designs. I mean, they were really interesting toys and characters. Um, was it great? Nah, yeah. no, not really. But but it was it was something.
0: Yeah, that was the other thing too that I found. Hmm like as a kid and a teenager with a lot of these shows is because you had like uh, artists and departments dedicated to the design mm-hmm. work a lot of them had really cool like ideas like like I said you'll get something like centurions you had um you had all these like legendary cartoonists working on it and when you look at the names you can mm-hmm. see that that they they hired all the... Kirby working on a, a few of these and it really showed because they had these the there was just something about them good. I use the example of this of the Transformers. Right. Every one of the early permutations of the Transformers, be it the comic book or the cartoon or the toys, they were all terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. They were yep. horrible. the The cartoon was rushed. The comic, nobody knew what to do with it. Was all the toys were. Oh, I have a chunky looking car that folds in half to be a chunky looking car folded in half with arms. Yep. But there was there was just something so in 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 built awesome about it that it just didn't mm-hmm. matter yep. you know it was just the coolest yep. thing ever even though it was terrible and there's a few of these things that were like that and like i say i think that's one of the things we lose that when you get to the 90s you're kind of not seeing that because again it's more workmanlike i don't think the people working are or it's more of a paycheck mm-hmm than something they want to do. And I think when you start getting into the 2000s, it becomes way too structured. Okay. So that it's, it's most of the stuff, it's not that interesting because you can really tell that whoever's heading this up is just bringing their foot down and making sure everything is exactly how marketing yeah, told them to yeah, do Yeah, that's it. true.
1: Yep, definitely. Yep. And I think that's, actually, that's not a bad spot to leave it. I think so. So, yeah, two thousands basically. <laughs> um, we can talk about you know other animated series post you know post Toerific era animated series if we want, but at this point, I think that we should probably wrap it up. So, any final thoughts, yeah. Don?
0: Well, just on based on what you were just saying, we'll have to do like a nineties era because the nineties are the opposite of the eighties. Uh, like, there's a lot of noteworthy mm-hmm. bad. Okay. There's some, there's some good, but it tends to, to get stifled by a lot of the bad. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, I, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Um, so yeah, all right, folks, thanks for listening. Hopefully, you've learned a few things about uh, the Toy Rific Eighties and um you know the cycle that we kind of went through that don and i were fortunate enough to go through is kind of the prime age for these things if we'd been a little bit older a little bit younger we probably wouldn't have quite appreciated them but we were just that kind of perfect age to slide through so for us this is kind of an era it's kind of a little trip through uh, through nostalgia and hopefully you found something interesting and you've enjoyed it um if not oh well it was our it was our childhood go suck on an egg anyway so um <laughs> on that note Thanks for listening. If you want to write in to ObeyTheDNA.com and um, leave some comments and basically let us know what your favorite 80s shows was, what which show you thought had the best theme song, which one was the best, let us know which one tickled your fancy. If you're from that era or if you're younger than that, what which ones have you are you familiar with and why? And why do you like them? Let us know. Until then, tune in next time when we'll talk about something just as interesting as this. Take care, everyone. Bye.
0: And and remember, kids, homemade napalm is dangerous. Always wear goggles and wear gloves. And that's one to grow on. <laughs> ding, ding, ding.
1: <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes, or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!